Uh, Admire and Hayes, thank, thanks again for uh, joining me today. And um, I came across your article titled Fake News and Cyber Propaganda in Sub-Saharan Africa and Recentering the Research Agenda. You raised some really pertinent issues, including one of kind of your key arguments, which is the conversation around fake news, which is kind of this new phenomenon. Uh, that uh, uh, is in discussions in newsrooms around the world and in, in academia as well. Uh, you, you're arguing that the, this conversation, uh, the research, uh, is pretty much centered um, kind of like on a, on a Western gaze. So the analytical uh, ways in which uh, people are unpacking the phenomenon is basically centered on, on kind of a Western understanding. And I just wondered why, why is it why is it important that um, uh, that that is disconstructed? I, th- I think what what is key here, and this is the point we are making here, is that um, we need to understand these practices from a contextual sort of perspective. That um, context does shape the way we communicate in in, in, in different spheres, and and when you think about the. the concept of um, of fake news in particular of course it has been it, it has been engineered and propped up by you know kind of western discourses particularly political discourses if you associate it with um, with trumpism and the rise of trump um, but but what hasn't really been done here is to try and um, conceptualize the notion uh, specifically within within context and 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 what is popular and what is really um, sort of widely known is the Western conception of the notion of fake news that excludes other ways of understanding this concept. And so this is this is primarily what drove us to this uh, to this particular article and, and also the, the whole special issue around which uh, we were writing. I mean, I mean, I can imagine an argument that what is true is true, regardless uh, of the um, cultural uh, or, or even the language context. Uh, and what is fake is fake. So is the uh, kind of like understanding this from the Western gaze, as as you refer to it? How how is that a big factor? I think, I think one of the one of the key points, you know, I'll I'll, I'll quickly ma- make reference to there is that um, the, the the question of platform power, you know, the power that has been attributed to technologies, for example, this overly deterministic association of of fake news and the propping up of fake news to digital technologies which has come from the worst in, in the majority of cases, is, is, is quite constraining and restricting in our understanding of the concept. Um, so that technicist fixicity inevitably drowns in our historical complacency that, that overlooks key factors, that the fake news, if, if we continue to use that sort of term, um, is, is something that is produced and circulates in specific contexts. And context is quite key in, in shaping the nature and form of, 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 um, of, of these discourses and the spaces in which it circulates. Um, and and, and, that, and that, that is essentially what we are trying to drive at here. So, so, so culture is really at the heart of that. You know, for example, when you think about the, the cultures of orality that obtain in, in an African context, when we talk about um, uh, pavement radio, you know, gossip, and, and, and how sort of rumors are quite central to the way we communicate within African context, particularly in restrictive communicative spaces. So, 
So when you bring in those contextual factors, you begin to understand fake news in a completely different dynamic other, other than simply attributing it to, to, to social media, for example, um, and giving more power, attributing power to, to technologies. But, but another quick point I'd want to make here is that um, when we talk about this concept, we need to distinguish between fake news as a political discourse and also fake news as a, as a normative um, sort of um, ideal that we can use to distinguish between good and bad, bad news, as it were. And we can come back to that point in, in conversation. Admire how how do, for example, journalists operate? You know, in an environment where people already mistrust, uh, you know, the media and uh, um, you know politicians and all that. So how how do you deal with that? As Ace has already pointed out, I think we are operating in an environment which is very in many ways, if you if you look at the the, the 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 public sphere that we have, it's so crowded with lots of uh, you know propaganda, uh, fake news, but mostly at, at a political level. And I think that raises a lot of issues with regards to how can then journalists practice their you know their their craft in such an environment where a lot of you know political and economic actors are trying to push various kinds of narratives. Like right now, we are talking about anti-vaccine narratives that are you know, populating various platforms, be it social media, be it mainstream media. So I would say that one thing that is very important, I think, which is also very important to, to just highlight is that the issue of verification. Unfortunately, uh, most of the newsrooms in Africa right now, they are operating at very below par uh, levels in terms of, you know, having very few sub-editors, because of course it's, it's about, you know, cutting, 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 the, cutting the costs. So if you look at that kind of an environment where you have got very few sub-editors, probably you've got one editor who is also a day editor, but also a night editor, you know, these people are over, you know, they are, they are overburdened with a lot of uh, work that they should do. And even journalists, very, I know, especially here in Namibia, we have so many uh, newsrooms that have really um, sent a lot of journalists uh, out, out of employment. And that also creates a situation where some in newsrooms end up just relying on correspondence or intense. And under that kind of condition, obviously, you are likely to see fake news somehow, you know, you know finding itself uh, through these filters without any, 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 any effort by editors to actually deal with it. So I would say that we really need to, to, to ramp up uh, a lot of uh, efforts around verification, fact checking within newsrooms should really become uh, one of the things that we, we, we promote. And even journalism curriculum itself, I think must also make sure that it, it, it invests a lot uh, in terms of fact checking and verification. Otherwise, if we don't do that, chances are that even our newsroom get, uh, gatekeepers and also filters that we have may end up not being able to deal with the fake news that we are seeing. We now have uh, within newsrooms across the world, you know, this, uh, it could be a, a just one person, it could just be a, a team that deals with fact-checking, which is kind of like separate from uh, the day-to-day news reporting. What's your view of, of that kind of, kind of like distribution of labor when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the so-called uh, fact-checking. Do you think that is working where you have one team that's definitely doing, churning out the news and another team, which is essentially like a forensic uh, department, which comes in a week or two later to, to confirm and debunk sub, sometimes even a, a report that, uh, you know, a newsroom has, uh, has put out? Chris, and I think one thing that also comes in is that we have got two types of uh, fact-checking that should be in operation. One is, is pre, pre-publication, 
pre-publication kind of moderation where you you you, you look at, you look through whatever whatever news has been gathered by journalists and try and sift through to make sure that there's no chaff, there's no uh, fake news that is going to uh, you know get through that those are uh, filters and, and gatekeepers. That that is I don't know. But what we have seen, especially in Africa, we have what we call the post-publication, and I think that one I have I have problems with that one. I don't think that one really. Is, is, is effective in as much as it may then tell us two weeks, three weeks down the line that this was fake. But you remember, fake news usually travel very fast than actually the truth itself. So even if you 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 say that uh, this is what we found, I found most of the chances, the times we've actually seen that 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 very verified story rarely reaches the same people that actually got uh, you know access to the to the fake uh, news in the first in the first place. So I would say we need to invest more in the pre-publication kind of verification rather than the post-publication, which we are seeing with these uh, you know entities like Africa Check, Zimfact, Nam, Namibia Fact Check. And, uh, they are doing well, of course. We we, are, we wouldn't say that they, they really are not are supposed to be. There, but I think their role really becomes really about just labeling something fake or something true, which 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 is really uh, not really effective in my in my opinion. Interesting. And Hayes, I want to bring you here, but one I also want to hear your comment um, about something that I've been thinking about, uh, which is uh, who is fact checking for? Uh, because at the end of the day, you have a situation where um, there are people who are. You know, deliberately bad uh, actors, uh, communication actors, uh, in terms of they are they have entrenched views about um, whatever topics and what you know you can do all the fact checking you want to do, and they will you'll obviously not change any minds. And I'm just curious whether you have also been grappling with some of the uh, the issues that Maya has has raised and and what your view is and just. Kind of this the structure um, that is uh, at the moment in in different newsrooms and how they are reacting to uh, to fake news and whether it's it's effective. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's quite a challenging question, um, Deacons. Um, I mean, the, the what we are seeing developing in newsrooms at the moment. Um, I know big heavy machines like the NMG, for example, have now established uh, fact checking desks within within their newsrooms. And this is something that we are seeing developing across across Africa, really. Well, it, it's it's pointing to two things. It's pointing to the fact that we are seeing the structural changes, the natural mutation of the the, the media sort of institutions to to fit into the developments in, in in digital technologies. I mean, newsrooms have always had sub editors whose primary function was to sort of go through the content and 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 make sure that um, everything everything is correct. But, but because of the developments in digital technologies, what we are beginning to see now is the need to have those sort of um, structures in place that can help to sift out uh, our content that, 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 that otherwise wouldn't be, wouldn't be needed in the, in, in, in the, in the newspapers. But, but there's a fundamental problem with that kind of a structure of fact checkers emerging, because it, it sort of, to me, sounds as though we are beginning to sort of institutionalize and legitimize the whole business of, of fake news, you know, as, as part of um, the, the, the way we do our work. But, but of course, that can be challenged. That is um, contested. Um, so so I, I still have big questions in terms of whether you know, we really need to institutionalize fact-checking as part of the business without necessarily sort of um, 
propping up and making sure that there's a constant supply of this fake news, which can help, you know, the fact checkers. Otherwise, because, you know, there's, there's a dynamic there. Cash 22 scenario where fact checkers to survive need to, a constant supply, isn't it? Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, 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 so there are big questions to be asked, but um, I mean, if you go back to the nature of newsroom structures, they've always had you know, forms of fact-checking. We didn't call them fact-checkers, but sub-editing and, and, and all other mechanisms, gatekeeping mechanisms that news organizations would have, would have been part of that sort of process of fact-checking. But, but the dilemma here now is institutionalizing these and formalizing these structures as entities unto themselves that need a constant supply in order to, 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 to stand is, is, is really worth looking at. The political economy of fact-checking is, is a big question we need to 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 to, con- to contend with. You you raise a really uh, pertinent uh, question there, just about whether they should be um, institutionalized teams within newsrooms uh, doing fact checking, and and that thing that that's a really really uh, interesting uh, take there. But I'm I'm curious whether you have any tips or or advice to fact checkers or even newsrooms when it comes to, you know, how do they best be relevant to readers, especially in Africa, uh, g- given some of the issues that you've raised? I, th- I think one of, one of the key issues we really should be investing in, and this is a, it goes back to the point that um, Mari pointed to or alluded to, it, it goes back to not just media education, you know, or journalism education, but, but also to the, the education systems themselves in terms of questions around media literacy. I think that really should become a central part of um, the, the education system in, 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 its, in, its, in its entire sort of a trajectory. That once society has got a, a certain level of media literacy, then the people can, are able to discern and sift between and differentiate between fact and 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 and, um, and, 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 and anything that is otherwise. But but of course, within the, the news organisations themselves. I think we really cannot shy away from the fact that we need um, really solid and robust structures um, within the editorial and gatekeeping processes that can help us to um, to, to sift through the, the the content that we produce. And um, it's going back to the normative values and, and 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 practices of journalism: check and check again before you publicize. I think, and but 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 also a key part of it is also the question of digital media literacy within the newsrooms themselves, that newsrooms should now constantly go back to the drawing board and constantly teach, educate, uh, refresher courses. This is where they kick in. So that journalists have a clear and and, uh, kind of um, latest understanding of developments in digital technologies and they can identify and sift out uh, any any sort of fake news within within the the content that they're using. How they are, are they exactly, are they appropriating and deploying these, these digital platforms? How do they navigate social media platforms? How can they differentiate between um, fact and, and, and fact sort of uh, content? I, I think this, this, the, the, this journalism is a discipline of, of, of fact-checking, verification, um, and, and being clear on, on kind of sources that you are using. I, I think it's going back to those values and, 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 and re-engineering sort of the, the, the training processes within within the newsroom context so that journalists are up to date using least sophisticated platforms because the platforms themselves are constantly changing and this is the most difficult part. So you can't really say someone coming from a university with a degree is solid and ready to go. They, they need to be constantly trained and you need to be constantly going because the technology themselves are in a constant state of flux. 
we have what we refer to as you know deep tanks that, that that are emerging you know really sophisticated and and journalists need to keep up with, with, with that sort of development and and training really in-house training is not anything we can shy away from but but key point i need to reinforce here question of media literacy broadly within society which also speaks to our education system. Yeah, I mean, you talk about deepfakes there, uh, there, and I saw one this week, which was absolutely scary. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's, it's, it's of um, uh, Tom Cruise, and it's, it's believable. You look at it, and you try and see whether you can get any cues that this is fake, but you can't. And it's, you know, how are, you, are we going to deal with that? And um, Admire, I, I don't know whether you have any, um, you know, any, any more to add uh, to the tips, uh, uh, to fact checkers. So I would say that certainly I don't also uh, support the idea that we need to institutionalize fact checking within either newsrooms or even outside of it. I would rather believe that let's ramp up our training and capacity building of our sub-editors, our editors, and generally in general, so that they just have a, a good sense of you know what verification and also fact checking is when they deal with our online, uh, our online, especially online news uh, that more, more, more often than not uh, where we see these kinds of things. But I also just want to say, as Hayes uh, was saying, that uh, we have seen that our these platforms that we are dealing with are constantly evolving, not only platforms themselves, but also the ingenuity with which people that produce uh, fake news are also operating. For, for example, recently in Zimbabwe, we have a case where the, the, the vice president is actually refusing that, you know, there's, uh, there, there are videos, not videos, and also uh, voice notes that are saying, Actually, the, the, the vice president was actually speaking to some of these uh, married women and uh, asking for, for sexual favors. And if you look at it, it's, it's, for, 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 for any, any status, anyone would say the, the voices that are there, one of the voices, obviously, is the, the, vice, the vice president, but actually is coming out in a, in a press statement and he's saying that he's not, he's not, he's, he's not, he's not, he's not him. So if, 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 if it is true that it's not him, then it tells you that really we are we are dealing with people that have got you know you know lots of uh, uh you know skills around you know going around this and again again as you have pointed out the issue of atomic uh, crews you know it tells us that we need journalists that are always on top of the game just like you know criminals are always on top of the game they're always ahead of schedule and are always ahead of uh, time when they deal with technologies especially these frauds that you know do online scams you know that kind of thing. that's essentially where journalists need really to to be trading in so that they they, they are able to to deal with either deep facts uh, you know all these other you know voice uh Voice, you know, you know, you know, issues that are, you know, used to 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 to, to mimic other people's voices and stuff like that, so that you can, you, before you write it, you can actually be able to verify. You have somewhere where you can verify, either in house or somewhere where you can actually be able to verify these things. Otherwise, if we don't do that, then chances are that we have to, we are likely to see the institutionalization of this uh, fact-checking industry. It's now an industry with its own political economy, with its own funders, and these funders also do have their own uh, interests and their own ideological uh, viewpoints that they want to push at the end of the day. So that creates a situation where we end up having this parallel structure that is existing alongside journalism. But what exactly it's going to do in the in the, in the, in, the, in the longer run? Certainly, I think it's it's going to to create a situation where journalism is going to become very difficult to distinguish between journalism and fact checking. What is journalism then at the, at the end of at the end of the day? So how how does the media ensure that it may it centers itself in a way that even when it's doing it's you know churning out the journalism and taking on uh, fact checking. Yeah that it remains a platform that people can actually agree and say, okay, you know, if, if the media says it, then this is what might should be the truth or close to what we can say an agreeable uh, 
you know, an agreeable truth? It's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, we, we have fake news, um, some people would argue, is that um, it is a response, in actual fact, to the undemocratic and uh, hierarchical sort of structures of mainstream news, the kind of the lack of trust in, in news and content that is produced by, by the mainstream. But, but also kind of deeper social malaise. People are just fed up with mainstream institutions and, 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 and politics itself. Um, so, so that question of trust is really at the center of, of, of what we're talking about here. Um, it, it goes back to the point I was trying to make earlier on that um, I think news institutions need to invest so much in building this connection and this trust with them, with their readers. Um, and part of that is investing heavily in, 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 in checking and cross-checking their content so that people can simply sort of trust in the content that they, they, they generate. And that is going to sort of differentiate between news that is generated in the street and news that is generated by uh, sort of platforms and institutions that um, um, readers and wider public can, can generally trust in. Um, so so it, is, it is really up around investing in, in producing content that, that, that is believable, that is worth trusting, and that is clearly distinguished from uh, populist content circulating in the, in the, in, on, the, on the streets. Um, and and, and it, again, this is in, intricately connected to the issues I raised earlier on around investing in, in media literacy and, and digital literacy amongst, amongst journalists so that they, they have the ability to descend and the ability to produce, check, verify, and, 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 and produce content that, that clearly distinguishes it, itself and sets itself apart from anything else that, that, is, not, that is not worth trusting. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that there certainly is need to build uh, that connection between uh, the media institution themselves, but also with the audiences. And I think there are so many ways of doing that. I know in, in, in the US, they used to have this, you know, each newsroom would have its own ombudsman kind of, a, you know, set up, you know, where if you air, you're always ready to, to, to go out there and allow people to, 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 to say, okay, we apologize. But what we often see here in Africa is that, you know, newspapers or even media organizations get it wrong, but when they put that, you know, apologies, just this small little tiny thing that they just say, it doesn't give that confidence that really you, you are very sorry about what you have done. You have really damaged the trust by, you know, uh, publishing that is something that is false. And I, I think that's where that, that transparency and accountability mechanism, I think that's where we need to, 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 to focus more our attention in terms of how do we rebuild that trust that was broken uh, between the media and, uh, and, and the audience. And I think if we can do that, then certainly people can start can, can start retrusting again uh, in, 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 in media institutions. But also it's also about making sure that you publish things that are verified, that are cross-checked, and you don't allow your news sources to push you to corners where you end up really having to, for example, I think there's a case right now in South Africa where the, the, the Sunday Times really had a, a very bad page with those uh, you know, investigative uh, journalist unit that they used to have. And they were being used by all kinds of sources to push all kinds of narratives. And now we have already realized that most of the things that they were being pushed to write away all falsehoods and people were trying to push their economic and political interests through that uh, you know, investigative unit. So I think there's, there's a need for, 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 the, for, for journalists to be beyond 
uh, this capture that we are seeing, not only capture, but also, you know, we are also seeing a lot of uh, brown envelope journalism that allows all these kinds of forces to end up uh, being published because probably you've been paid or you've been bribed to, to allow certain things to go through the, 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 the filters as truth when it's not truth. And I think that's where we need really to, 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 to focus our attention, especially in Africa. Okay. Uh, my, my last question uh, to you two um, is, is essentially about the, um, you know, the, the, the current uh, global pandemic. And I know you've read uh, across board, you know, um, and I did wonder whether you have uh, or you can share with me some sort of like uh, insight that you have when you look at the stories that are being published. Uh, you know, we have the issue of vaccines. Obviously, we have the issue of, uh, you know, number of cases on the continent. We have uh, the issue of what kind of health information is being given um, and and the other uh, ripple effects uh, of this uh, pandemic, and especially on the continent. And I'm just curious whether there's, uh, you know, one or two things that you've seen about how the continent is being covered that you think that has probably undermined, um, uh, you know, the media essentially undermining itself or undermining its message uh, in ways in which you dealt with uh, in your article. You know, uh, I think you, you at some point you you obviously ref- you've referred to, a, you know, the culpability of mainstream uh, press to whip up fake news. So, are there any tangible examples or? I'm, I'm, I've picked up the pandemic because that's what's been covered uh, in, you know, so much in the past year. So uh, I think th- those examples would be great if, if they have uh, one or two that you can share with me. Well, I, I think when we talk about the culpability of the mainstream news and whipping up um, fake news, one, one of the issues there is, is, is related to what we have raised in this conversation around, around the questions of media literacy. Um, but, but also, you know, Bringing it back to the context of the pandemic, this has been a global phenomenon um, and one that has been heavily covered by the international uh, global sort of global media. Um, what has been happening in Africa is that, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic has been a process of discovery and many, many sort of scientific um, concepts have emerged uh, throughout um, from, from the start of the, of the outbreak. And, and what we have seen in, the, in, in, in Africa in the coverage of, of, of the pandemic has been kind of, it's just churning out and regurgitating of concepts without necessarily uh, explaining them in, in, in local terms and what they actually, they actually mean for, for the local readership. And that has resulted in the majority of cases in, in people didn't, being completely confused about what, what exactly it, it means. And, and some of the challenges have also been around the media being complicit and also kind of whipping up um, some of the, 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 the fake news that have been revolving around um, uh, the, the, the nature of the pandemic and what it actually means. Uh, so the conspiracy theories that we have seen, for example, at the moment, that are affecting the uptake of um, um, the... the, the, the and even just general attitudes are directly sort of going back to to the media. Um, the media is 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 is, is whipping up us, but but it is primarily because of a lack of understanding, a lack of um, um, people that have got the appropriate skills to understand the technical and scientific terms around around um, the, the the pandemic within the institutions themselves. Um, and this has real implications and impact. Um, 
but but this is not just about you know this pandemic it goes back in history you know when you see that the, the implications of fake news are quite real on the ground if you think about inoculation cases in nigeria for example if you think about the family planning programs that were disrupted uh, because of fake news in in in, in nigeria you'd find se- several several examples and and this is something that really needs to be to be revisited but it's got to do with the resourcing of of, of our news organizations mm. it's got to do with training and it's got to do with media literacy as i said the centralization of uh, the communication around figures of our COVID-19 I created a situation where we ended up in Africa, most in, mostly, especially in Southern, Southern Africa, where we had what we call press release journalism. You know, where only press, press statements that are, you know, press statements or figures that are coming from the Minister of, you know, Health or uh, the, 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 the President was what was being published. And as a result, there's no cross-checking of whether those statistics are accurate or not, because at the end of the day, there's propaganda that is also at play here. Governments are trying to to show that they are on top of the situation, yet probably they are not. Things are actually worse than they are, and we have seen that in countries like Zimbabwe. We have also seen it in countries like you know Tanzania and also Uganda, where you know there's this you know bravado face that is uh, put out there by the government that we are on top of the situation. But when you look deep down to see how many people are being really affected by this pandemic, the the, the situation is very dire. But you know because you know. Journalists are just relying on statistics that are coming from a centralized port. It becomes very difficult, and you can't cross-check because also there are lockdown issues that are also involved. There are emergency measures that are being used, so it has created a situation where journalists are actually reporting with one leg being tied on a tree, but another which is mobile. So they are, they are not really able to actually dig dig deep and understand what is really happening. And this has really given rise to, to fake news because at the end of the result, at the end of the day. When people don't have, you know, verified information that they trust is actually credible, or where they have doubts about the information, they're likely to start peddling other, you know, other conspiracy theories or, you know, certain, you know, truths and narratives around certain issues. And we've seen that lots of memes being circulated even around lockdowns and all these kinds of things. And that has created a situation. But one thing that I also wanted to say is that we, we, we have also seen that it is very important for African journalists actually to do science journalism. And I, I think science really has been on, on, on trial during this pandemic. And fortunately, our journalists have not been able to, 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 to unpack and uh, open up the black box of science. We have been, you know, we have been bombarded with all kinds of concepts. But, you know, unpacking these, these scientific claims and, and actually using our own, science, you know, our own scientists to actually explain it, we haven't seen really that. Of course, we have seen some, some medical doctors and scientists that have started uh, being popular, especially on Twitter and all that kind of thing. But it's something that is very, you know, elitist in many ways. But at the end of the day, I think we need to see more of our scientists speaking through these platforms so that at least we can be able to, to unpack the black box of science. That is Hayes Mwaboizara and Admire Mari speaking to me about their article Fake News and Cyber Propaganda in Sub-Saharan Africa, Recentering the Research Agenda. I am Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.